Here's an interesting question to start with. Do you ever feel like or get the sense that God is trying to get your attention? All the time. <laughs> Some of us probably feel that regularly. Right? Maybe you've had a really bad day. Maybe you've had a bad week. or Maybe there's just been this sort of sequence of events or sequence of circumstances that have caused you to, to sort of stop and say, what on earth is going on? You ever experienced that? I bet you have. I think all of us do from time to time. And maybe when those moments come and you're perplexed and you're just feeling like, what is, what is all this going on in my life? What is, what's happening here? Maybe the best explanation you can come up with is to, is to ask yourself, is God trying to tell me something? Is God trying to get my attention? And I think that's a very real possibility. There are certainly times when God allows things to happen in our lives because He very much wants to get our attention. And what He wants to do in getting our attention is ultimately drive us to His grace. That's the story of the Christian life, right? And I, earlier in the service, I, I had us praying and I asked you to just consider how the grace of God has pursued you. Maybe you were thinking about when did you come to know Christ? What, what, was, what was the events in your life going on at that time? How did the grace of God really break through? And, and recognize that, yeah, those, there are times when, when God just shakes us for our good. And that's the story of the Christian life. This is especially true, these, these shaking moments. This is especially true when we're guilty of not acknowledging Him. When we're guilty of not acknowledging His sovereignty in our lives. And, and the reason why that happens then is because you know, we're doing something we weren't made to do. We were made to acknowledge the goodness and sovereignty of our God. We were made for Him. And when we're not doing that, and God graciously pursues us, He wants to get our attention. In fact, He demands our attention. Because He knows that ultimately it's best for us. We were made for it to submit ourselves to Him. And because He loves us, and this is the thing I want us to, to really grab onto this morning, especially if you're here and you're feeling like, I'm in one of those sh sort of shaking moments. I feel like things are going on. Crisis is happening in my life. And, and you're wondering, is God trying to get your attention? What I want you to grasp is this, is that because He loves you, because He loves you, He will relentlessly pursue you. He will relentlessly pursue you with His grace. You say, I don't deserve that. You say, that's what grace is for. That's what grace means. It's undeserved favor. And oftentimes I think we, we really fear that in those moments it's God trying to just stick His thumb on us and hold us down and, and crush us. And that's, that's not our God. God will judge the wicked, but when He's pursuing you, He's pursuing you because He loves you and He wants to show grace to you. And our passage this morning proves this point. We're going to see this morning the lengths to which God will go to pursue sinners in grace. To get from those sinners, all of us, what He deserves. Our undivided attention and praise. And we're going to see why this is the best thing that could ever happen to us. So, you're there in Daniel chapter 4? 
Daniel chapter 4. Let me read the first three verses. We're, we've, been, we've been hearing the narration from the, the, the point of view of God's people. This, this is all King Nebuchadnezzar's words, right? This is, this is him now writing to us and speaking to us. And listen to what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Remember who he is, by the way. He's the king of Babylon, the, the biggest, greatest empire in the world. He's the most powerful figure on the planet at this time. And he's making a, a decree in that position to everyone. Everybody needs to hear this, he's saying. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Think of who this is again. Nebuchadnezzar, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know this is not a godly man. This is a wicked man. And yet here's his cry. This is what God has done for me. How great are His signs. How mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. What a shocking thing to hear out of the mouth of a man like King Nebuchadnezzar. What an awesome thing to hear him say to the whole world. Great is God. Great is God. I love this chapter. and I love it for two reasons. The first one is that in this chapter we see a guy that we've, we've, been, we've known so far as a, as a wicked man, as a sinner, as a guy who, who is a, a directly opposed to God. And we see in this chapter him come to faith. We see God's grace break through in his life, humbling him and restoring him by his grace. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. It's awesome. And we also see in this chapter, Daniel being used by God to speak the truths of God's grace into Nebuchadnezzar's life. So there's, there's two kinds of people here this morning. Those of you who have not yet received the grace of God, this message is for you. I want you to think of yourself as Nebuchadnezzar. And the rest of you who have received the grace of God, this message is also for you. I want you to think of yourselves as being like Daniel. How will God use you, having received His grace, to lead others to it? And that's what Daniel does in this chapter. We're going to see how we can lovingly pursue our own neighbors, co-workers, family members with the same grace that God has shown to us. And we have a lot to glean from how Daniel does it. And I would submit that Daniel does this in a way that, that we, maybe we don't see often enough in Christians today or in the church today. How does he lovingly pursue the sinner? So, three main points here for the message this morning. Here's the first one. God relentlessly uses His revelation to pursue us with His grace. He relentlessly uses His revelation, His, His Word to us to pursue us with His grace. Look at verse 4. We're going to read through verse 18 and kind of get the, the, the opening setting here of what's going on in the chapter. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, 
He who is named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the Spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of holy God is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. What's, what's the problem here? This is very familiar, it's very similar to what we read previously, right? Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream earlier, and he had called in all the magicians and the Chaldeans to tell him the, the dream and interpret it for them, and they couldn't do it. And so Daniel finally comes in and does it. This is a very similar scene. This is probably many, many years later, though, which is an interesting thing, by the way. Just, just a little aside. We look at this, this whole account of Daniel and, and his friends and their time in Babylon, and we, we can read it chapter after chapter and get the sense that all these things were just kind of happening one after another, one after another. Maybe sometimes that makes you think, man, I, why, doesn't, why don't things in my life seem to go like that? Why, why do there seem to be these long periods of time between when I see the Lord working and doing significant things. And I, I want to point out that, that in this text here, we're, we're seeing a major gaps of years. So that first time we saw the dream and the interpretation, Daniel was a very young man. This was at the very beginning of their captivity. This is, is more likely many, many years later into the middle period of Daniel's life. And in fact, over that 70-year span of time where Daniel was there in captivity, we only see nine instances that are talked about where these big moments happen. So just keep that in mind. Daniel wasn't much unlike you and I in that regard. But we see this happening again, this dream, this trumbling dream. And he says something here. He says, I was at ease. I, you know, things were great in my life. I was prospering in both my professional life, and he talks about his household so we could assume his personal life. But here's the thing. Despite the miracles and the examples of faith that he had been witness to, that first dream he saw this. He saw Daniel come in and make an interpretation. Remember at the end of it, he gave praise to God. Despite the praises to God, the greatness of God that he talked about that first time, it seems like he'd forgotten all of that. He still hadn't come to repentance. 
he still hadn't come to a changed heart. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, because in verses 6 and 7, it says he did the same thing. He has a dream. He's scared. And the first thing he does is he calls in the same people, the magicians and the Chaldeans and the sorcerers. He doesn't first pursue the Lord. He doesn't have a changed life at this point. He never stopped living the way he had been living from day one. And how was that? He was living for his own glory. He was living for the glory of himself. He was pursuing all that the world had to offer. So here's a first lesson for us. Our knowledge of God and any confessions that we might make of His greatness, they don't mean anything without a changed life. That's what we see in His life, right? He can, he can talk the talk, but without the transformation of His heart, without His life actually turning to follow the Lord and no longer live for Himself, it didn't mean anything. It never does. Nebuchadnezzar had been receiving revelations from God for some time by now. He'd seen this before, and yet he hadn't changed. And so an acknowledgement of God without the added result of a transformed heart doesn't mean anything. So you think about it, if, if, if the Lord is, is doing this again, and Nebuchadnezzar has found himself yet again kind of turning his back on the ways of the Lord. He's just sort of like going back at ease in my house and back to my same old ways. What do you suspect God's going to do? I know what I would suspect God's going to do. I might suspect God's going to send a lightning bolt and just, that's it. You're done. That's not what God does. God shows him mercy. God shows him mercy and He gives Nebuchadnezzar a warning. That's what this dream is all about. It's God breaking through yet again and warning him. Kind of like baseball. We're going to see in this passage sort of three at-bats. And this first one is this. This first bat comes through a revelation that God gives. He sends his word to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream, and he warns him, look, you might be big and strong, like this beautiful tree that you see. You might be the one in the earth who, who provides shelter and food to everyone else, but I can chop the tree down. I can humble you. You might be king of Babylon. You might be the most powerful man in the world. But if I desire, I can and will humble you and bring you down like a wild animal. The Lord is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar, you're not God. I am. Stop acting like you are. I am. Now that might sound really scary. And maybe maybe you've experienced something in your life where you say, that I, I feel like God is has given me that same kind of stern warning. You're not God, I am. And maybe you're expecting that God's going to strike you with a lightning bolt. But what we see here is a picture of God's patience and mercy. He warns him again. He comes to him again. He pursues him again by, by his revelation. In a sense, he's giving him a break. He's giving him an opportunity yet again to repent with the note that there will be serious consequences if you don't. This won't go on forever. Judgment is final. This, this decree isn't a, this might happen. This, is, this decree is that this will happen. But there's an opportunity here for you to, to repent. And I want you to notice here that what God does is He puts Nebuchadnezzar in a crisis situation. And I think that's an important thing for us to recognize. Both for ourselves and for those around us, God often uses crisis situations to get our attention, to break through with His grace. 
So if you're experiencing a crisis situation in your life, keep your ears open. Hear what the Lord has to say to you this morning. And for those of you who are praying for those around you, who are concerned for your friends and your family and your loved ones and those that you know that don't yet know the grace of God, look for crisis opportunities. God often uses those as the moment in which He'll break through. That's what we're seeing here. In a time of crisis, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a revelation. That's how he oftentimes initially pursues proud sinners. So why did I have Mara read from 2 Timothy 4? Because when those moments happen, be ready to preach the Word. In season and out of season, be ready to preach the Word. And this is what Daniel is ready to do. And here comes the second at bat. The second point is this. God relentlessly uses His people to pursue us with His grace. Let's continue reading. I think I left off at, uh, at verse 17. Verse 18, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, again, this is Daniel, this is the name that was given to Daniel upon captivity. Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able. For again, the Spirit of the holy gods is in you. It's interesting how Nebuchadnezzar recognizes, again, there's something different about Daniel. He doesn't quite get it right. He's still talking about his, his own pluralistic worldview, but he recognizes there's something holy in you, Daniel. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one come down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has a revelation from God about his life, but again, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. 
None of his wise men get it. And so God is about to show Nebuchadnezzar yet another offer of grace. He sends in Daniel. And Daniel says to him, look, here's the dream. Here's the interpretation of the dream. This treats you. Right? That's a bold thing for him to do. Right? It's, it's you. And this is what's going to happen unless you repent. I want you to notice something about these verses about Daniel. Again, what does is, what is Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar say about Daniel? He says, this Daniel is filled with a Holy Spirit. He's filled with a Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a, that's a tip-off here for a key point of, of the passage here. God uses His people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to pursue sinners with His grace. And there's a great lesson for those of us who have received that grace, who, who, would, who would identify here with Daniel. What do you do in a situation like this? What do you do when somebody that you know comes to you in a crisis moment and you can see it because the Holy Spirit is showing you God's trying to get their attention. What do you do? Well, notice what Daniel did. This can be a difficult position to be in, right? Notice that his first reaction seems to be a reaction of, of fear. He, he delays for a little bit. He wants to ponder this over a little bit. He, he doesn't want to immediately tell Nebuchadnezzar that he knows what this interpretation is all about. Maybe he's looking for a tactful way to say it. Maybe he's looking for a way to, to sort of appropriately approach, remember again, who he's talking to. This is the king of the world. Maybe. Maybe. And when we find ourselves in those situations, maybe that's what we do oftentimes too. Like, i got to find a tactful way to say this. That might be what's going on. I think there's something else going on here though. I think it's this. I think there's just genuine care and concern for Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, he doesn't want to say this to Nebuchadnezzar because he knows what it means. And that's why he says here, oh king, may this be for your enemies and not for you. In other words, I recognize the judgment of God is, is ultimately coming for the wicked. I don't want you to be among that number. That's, a, that's kind of a strange thing for him to say. Because Nebuchadnezzar hasn't been ultimately kind. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had his buddies thrown into a furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had them try to bow down to an image of Nebuchadnezzar and, and, to, and to, you know, have to, to, to do false worship, to deny their own God in order to worship Nebuchadnezzar. You might think in a situation like this that, Nebuch that Daniel excuse me, would rejoice a little bit. Ha! This is for you! Oh, this is, I've been waiting for this to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. God's going to judge you, man. Woo! But he doesn't do that. And I think it's an important point because even though that was a little bit comical how I put that, I think it's, I think it's a convicting thing. When, some, when your enemies, when those who are most vocal against you as God's people and your God find themselves in crisis situations, how tempting is it for us to root for their demise? And that's not what Daniel does. He has compassion. He says, no, may this not be for you. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. You need to know what's coming. But I'm telling you this. God is telling you this. That you might repent. That you might, you might stave off this judgment. He has a heart of compassion. Which points us to Christ. Remember when Christ was 
coming into Jerusalem, knowing he was walking into his crucifixion. He stands above the hill and he's, he, he looks over the city and he, he wept for them. He had compassion upon them. Oh, that you would know, he says, knowing that they were going to kill him. How do we approach those who need the grace of God, even those who have been so adamantly opposed to him and to us? I think Daniel gives us a beautiful picture here. Care and concern that ultimately drives Daniel to do the right thing. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, look, here's the straight up news. This is what, I, this is what it means. This is, this is the Word of God interpreted for you. He's honest with him because he cares. And he says to him what he needs to hear. I want you to read again with me what he says to him, just so we can understand how he told it to Nebuchadnezzar straight. Verse 22, it's you, he says. It's you, O king, who've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, yes, you, you, your life seems to have it all put together. It, the, everything so far has been all about you. That's true. But do you recognize that, that when the judgment of God comes, it's, it's you he's speaking to? Therefore, verse 27, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Practice righteousness. Break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He's calling Nebuchadnezzar to repent. And again, we see that God here is using Daniel to do this. God is giving Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity yet again to receive mercy, to change his ways. He's going above and beyond to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. So does it work? Look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, and while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate the grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like the bird claws. Twelve months later. So maybe there was some reaction from Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he heeded the word for a time. But again, he had not yet surrendered himself. And he finds himself walking around, glorying in, him, in himself yet again. And then the judgment comes. But again, it's not a final judgment. 
it's just a, it's another opportunity for God to show him grace. He says, you're, you're going now. You're going to be cast out. You're going to be in the fields until such a time that you know that, it's, it's, that I'm God. Right? There's still yet opportunity here. And so that's our third point. God will relentlessly use whatever it takes to pursue us with His grace. This is, this is what you would call a radical, life-altering moment. Right? Here's this man who again spits in the face of the grace that God had shown to him up to this point. He doesn't change his sinful ways. And God then graciously does what He knows will certainly be the wake-up call that Nebuchadnezzar ultimately needs. He takes away everything. He went from being king of the world to being completely humbled. By the way, there is a psychological condition, a psychological disorder that is what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. It's called boanthropy. It's, 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 a, it's a condition where people think they're a cow. Or they think they're an ox. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only person that, that this has ever happened to, apparently. Uh, but this is what happens to him. He, 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 he loses his mind. Right? Which is a, a scary reality that the more we think about and set ourselves up and exalt ourselves up in our own minds as God, the more we lose our minds. Because the more detached from reality we really become. That's not reality. And this is what happens to him. He loses his mind. And the point here is simply this. If God wants to get your attention, He's going to get it. And if God wants to do whatever it takes to extend to you the grace that He's purposed for you, He'll do whatever it takes. What's our application here? Well, I want us to first recognize this. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, God has given us a revelation. He's given us His Word. God has spoken to us. God has revealed to us who He is. He has revealed to us who we are. And He's revealed to us what we need. We need His grace. We need His salvation. We need to submit our lives to Him. God has also given us people who intervene in our lives and speak that truth to us. He's put believers around us. You came to faith because somebody told you about the grace of God. Somebody highlighted for you, they interpreted for you the Word of God and said, it's you. Repent. Right? And ultimately, God does whatever it takes. Every one of us has a story about what, what it took for God to finally kind of wake us up to the reality that we were a sinner in need of a Savior. The, the moment where the Holy Spirit enlightened us to, to believe by faith in Christ. He's doing the same thing in Nebuchadnezzar that He does with all of us. And I think it's an important thing for those of us who are still kind of resisting that to say, don't assume this won't happen to you. Don't assume you won't lose your mind the more you're detached from the reality that there's a God in heaven who made you and made you for Himself. It's a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing to see somebody go through a crisis and end up in this low state. 
But here's the good news. That for those that God has purposed to draw to Himself, this is not the end of the story. It never is. God wants your attention. You can be sure there's a good reason for it. And there is. What is He trying to accomplish? What's He trying to accomplish? Well, what did He accomplish in Nebuchadnezzar's life? Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? So he makes the profession here, right? He has now acknowledged the Most High. And at the same time, he says, My reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my, my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those are the last recorded words of Nebuchadnezzar. May those be the last recorded words of all of us, right? I praise God. I praise God. What does he find here? He finds that submitting to God's grace is his highest good because he recognizes this is what we were made for. Go back to the beginning. Go back to verses 1-3 to three because he's bracketed this whole thing with praise. King Nebuchadnezzar, to, to all people, he's, he's speaking to us. Every people, every nation, every language that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. In other words, here's how, here's how you might know peace. I want you to know the peace that I found. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. When I read that, I hear this echo of the Apostle Paul saying, you know, I know this, that the Lord came to save sinners among whom I'm the worst. I'm chief. I hear that echo in this. I want you to know what God did for me. You all know me. How great are His signs. How mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. What, what are you hearing him say here? He's not just simply saying, look, I've, I've been humbled. I give up. I quit. I submit. He's God and I'm not. As if he's resigned to it. No. He's saying, I've now recognized the most incredible news, the best thing I could have ever known. God in humbling me has revealed to me something that brings me joy. And you got to hear it. He's awesome. He's great. He's good. You see that? There's, there's transformation now in this man's life. God's relentless pursuit in grace leads to our eternal, joyful praise. It is good for us even to be humbled to recognize that our greatest and highest good is never found in us, but always and only found in the one who made us for himself and saves us from ourselves 
by redeeming us and restoring us. He restored Nebuchadnezzar. He restored him. He wanted to show Nebuchadnezzar to what lengths he would go to extend his grace. And so this morning, those of us who are here, again, you're, you're in one of two places. You're, you're either resisting the grace of God, and I hope that by the Word this morning, by His revelation, and by His people, I'm His people, I'm talking to you, right? I'm hoping that He's doing whatever it takes to reveal to you, you need to, you need to humble yourself or be humbled but he wants to show grace to you. He wants to restore you to right-mindedness in him. I'm hoping that you'll, you'll recognize that this morning or for the rest of us to recognize that, yes, God, God pursues in grace. He pursues sinners in grace and praise him for the way that he's done that in your life. Remember that. Thank him for that. Ask him to use you to be that that mouthpiece for somebody that you know, that we would run after them with the same grace that we've received from God, knowing that God uses His redeemed people to extend grace to others. And then thirdly, that that we would remember this, that when we gather together as His people, this is the message we're always proclaiming to one another. God is gracious to sinners. That's the message of the Gospel. How far will God go? When He says He'll do whatever He, whatever it takes to pursue us in His grace, how far will He go? And the answer to that question is something that we remind ourselves of often when we gather together and we come to this table and we're reminded, this is how far He'll go. He sends His Son for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. God went the full measure in order to extend grace to us. That when we come by faith, when we're humbled by this table, recognize that this is what we deserved. Death. And to know that God sent His Son in our stead to take that death for us. That by faith in Him, we are made righteous in Christ. We are forgiven. We are restored. And we come together as His people and we eat the bread and we drink the cup remembering the, the length to which God will go to extend grace to sinners. He has pursued us. And our response, our right response, is to come to the table and receive it in thanksgiving. So I want to ask the elders to come forward. And I want to serve us. The elements. And I want to say this. This table is for those who've received the grace of God by faith in Christ. You've made that same profession God, I'm not God. You are. I praise You. You are the Most High. It is by Your Son and only by Your Son that I'm able to approach You because He has taken my guilt. So if you are in Christ, this table is for you. If you're not in Christ, you can't make that profession. So let the elements pass you by. But I'm going to continue praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to lead you to Himself. And if this morning you are a weak-minded believer, in other words, you're, you're, you, you say, I've, I know I've trusted Christ, but I don't feel that. I'm, I'm feeling very weak. I'm feeling like 
Like all the things that are going on in my life is God trying to, to send a lightning bolt or squash me like a bug. I want you to be reminded that God has done all that He does in the life of a believer to extend grace, to call you home. So if you're feeling weak in Christ this morning, come to the table. Preach the Gospel to yourself. Let us preach the Gospel to you as we share this meal together knowing Jesus' body was broken, His blood was shed for us that we might be cleansed. Let's come to the table.